Welcome to Soul of Islam Radio. Soul of Islam Radio is a leading-edge personal growth and spiritual development podcast available entirely for free throughout the world. Our goal is to support you in your path of personal transformation and spiritual growth and to supporting an awakening within the global community. The Islamic Renaissance depends upon you and your commitment to the highest and most noble ideals of a spiritually awakened life. Thank you for joining us. This is Ihsan, and this is Season 4, Episode 7. This is Ihsan. I am a personal growth and spiritual development coach, creator of the Islamic Meditation and Eternal Warrior Way programs, lead activist and director in the Islamic Renaissance Project, and co-founder of Soul of Islam Radio. It is our aim with Soul of Islam Radio to provide you a variety of experiences with the singular goal of supporting you in progress upon your personal spiritual path. We realize that our listeners are at very different stages in their personal journeys. And if we can motivate, inspire, and educate you to take a single step closer to your Lord, Allah Almighty, then we are grateful for the honor. When you take a single step towards Allah Ta'ala, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, the most compassionate, the most merciful, He Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala takes the next 10 steps towards you. When we walk towards our Lord Most High, he, Azawajal, comes to us at speed. In this inspiring interview with Ustada Linda Ayash, you will have the opportunity to experience the light and beauty that results from a sincere seeking of the divine pleasure and guidance of our Lord, Allah Almighty, and of seeking to follow sincerely in the blessed and noble footsteps of the holy and luminous Messenger of Allah, Sayyidina Muhammad wasallam. Ustada Linda is a teacher and a da'i, who at a very young age was guided and inspired to seek out sacred knowledge and to serve Allah Most High, and thus creation in the best way possible. She has spent years in study with great teachers and masters of classical Islamic knowledge and learning, and has several ijazas in the books of Hadith, and also has extensive study in classical Arabic, Fiqh, Tajweed, and Sirah. Most importantly, she has spent much time with great teachers and shaykhs of tarbiyah, guides and trainers of disciplining and humbling the self, so as to enable a human being to be of real service to Allah Most High. Please take a moment to clear your mind, to relax, to breathe, and to open your heart that you may obtain maximum benefit and inspiration from this experience. In the name of our Lord and Creator, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Thank you so much for joining us, Ustada Linda. It's a great honor and a great privilege to have you here with us on Soul of Islam Radio. We had the great joy of interviewing your husband, Sheikh Mustafa, just recently. One of the great Qaris and reciters in the world, mashallah. And that was a beautiful experience to hear him recite the Holy Quran. It's a great honor to have you with us as well. Welcome, Sister Linda. It's a great honor for me. The pleasure is mine. Jazakumullah khairan. If we could begin, Ustadalinda, and just if you could share with us a little bit about your background. You have made the pursuit of sacred knowledge the focus of your life, the pursuit of studying al-Islam and sharing the knowledge of 
Islam with others, with those who are seeking to further their spiritual path. If you could maybe just share with us a little bit about your background, what led you down this path, some of the teachers you've had the honor and privilege to study with, and the importance of following that traditional path of sacred knowledge in the life of the modern believer. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala Sayyidina wa Habibina Muhammadin abdika wa rasulika nabi al-ummi. Growing up in the West, um, you know, there are many challenges and difficulties and blessings, you know, for, for being here and growing up here. You know, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala places us in a particular place or time, there's great wisdom. There's great hikmah and wisdom in it. And um, it's, you know, seeking knowledge is not something, you know, that I had planned. It really was, you know, a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And um, first and foremost, really, um, my parents were of, you know, utter importance with regards to this. They always instilled um, in my siblings and myself um, the importance of being sincere, of seeking the truth, of living a morally upright life and, and being ethical in our actions, in our daily life, in all aspects of our life. And, um, you know, my father, may Allah preserve my parents and all of our parents, would always, you know, encourage us and remind us that, you know, if I can't see what you're doing, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can see. You know, that was really instrumental for us. Um, it really impacted, those statements, those words really impacted me a lot. You know, growing up, um, elementary school, I was in public school. I was born in Chicago, and but I my family moved, you know, to Dallas when I was young. So I grew up in the public school system in Dallas, Texas. Um, so we were in a nice, you know, comfortable upper class uh, community, you know, and so... Um, that was really important. My parents wanted us to be um, amongst other people who, you know, were trying also to live um, a morally upright life. But it was definitely an American Western, you know, um, community. And not to say that that there's anything wrong with that. Of course, I'm not, t- you know, trying to insinuate that at all. But so there are challenges. So there are blessings that, you know, we get to, um, you know, learn and understand um, the different issues that are being faced by people and the youth here in the West when we grow up here. So, but at the same time, there are challenges. It's a challenge sometimes to try to um, live in, in, an, in an Islamically proper manner. Um, because we all know that you, we can we can live a morally upright life, but be secular. And so, um, my parents were really instrumental in, in getting us to see and believe that, you know, it's important to have both morals and ethics, and an all and an Islamic um, worldview and upbringing, and that we see and balance in our lives with both to balance, you know, the the morals of the West and the East of our culture here in America and, and our Islamic society and our Islamic identity. And then after that, um, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala introduced me to so many um, phenomenal teachers and scholars. You know, and when you sit in the company of the scholars 
and the righteous men and women of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the impact is profound. You know, you're, it's easy to talk the talk, but to walk the walk is really difficult. And, and when you're in the company and studying with teachers and scholars who are righteous in their lives and f- trying to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, following the beautiful sunnah of Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam. Not only are you learning, you know, important pieces of information and you're learning essential knowledge, sacred knowledge, but your soul and your spirit and your mind and your heart is really being transformed because it's the heart and the soul which can really feel the sincerity you know of the the teachers and the scholars and this is something called hal you know a person's state and if a person is you know worshiping allah subhanahu wa ta'ala helping people for the sake of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala being in khidmah being in service of others for the sake of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and trying to implement and embody the true teachings of the Qur'an al-Kareem and the Sunnah of Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. You know, this fills the height, the heart, this fills the heart with light. And, um, you know, and then darkness is expelled from the heart. And, you know, you really do actually feel and you can, you're very um, influenced um, by this light. And so with time, you start realizing that, you know, when I'm in the company of the scholars or when any of us are in the company of the scholars and the righteous and pious men and women of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that you feel, you know, great peace and tranquility. And this is something a lot of us are missing here in the West. Um, For whatever, there are so many factors which contribute um, to this, and that's really not something we need to go into right now. I think the audience is can, you know, um, speak to that so much living here in the West and especially now with the challenges that our youth and communities are facing. But, you know, you can't deny the beauty and the peace and the tranquility that one feels just being in the company of the scholars and the ulama and the awliya and the pious men and women of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I think that really influenced me and motivated me really greatly to try to, you know, seek out um, that type of lifestyle and atmosphere, to try to seek out um, being in the company of, you know, the righteous and the scholars. Um, So maybe it might be a little bit of a greedy um, intention in the beginning, I think, really. I don't think I ever really had the intention, you know, that I would learn and then actually sit down and teach. Um, I obviously don't, you know, I'm not worthy for that, but in the beginning, I think I was just seeking that peace and tranquility, that solace. Um, Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made, you know, faith something that we love and we find beloved. And that's from our fitrah state. That's something that he's, you know, given people that we do have a love for seeking faith and truth and and that's essential i think mashallah well, i mean may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raise and bless your family and your parents for instilling the love for sacred knowledge in your heart at such a young age 
where did your travels take you? And what are some of the experiences maybe that you can share in terms of your pursuit of seeking knowledge within Islam, some of the great teachers you've studied with? We know it's a sunnah to travel for the sake of knowledge. Did you have to go far or was it accessible? To be quite honest, um, you know, growing up, my parents were always trying to get us to speak and, and learn to read and write Arabic. Um, unfortunately, growing up, you know, in elementary school, I wasn't really, you know, elementary school and junior high, I wasn't really um, seeing the importance of studying Arabic, and I was always putting it off. Um, and it's something I greatly regret uh, now you know, I could have really utilized that time, you know, studying Arabic on, on the weekends or after school. You know, so for any of the those in the audience, if you have any opportunity to be, you know, to study Arabic, to study Tajweed, to memorize Qur'an al-Kareem, um, you know, to, to be involved in any of those, you know, classes available for sacred knowledge, please do take advantage, even if it's one class a week you know, 15 minutes a week over time, you know, is really beneficial. And as you get older and you start to realize the importance of learning the Arabic language, it is, it is really key to unlocking the secrets of our, you know, our, um, we have Ummahat al-Kutub, you know, the, the primary sources for our sacred religious knowledge. You know, and the oldest of our um, sacred texts are in the Arabic language, so you can read translations um, and there are plenty of them, and there there is a lot of good in the translations, of course. But being able to read the primary sources of these great works of the most honorable men and women who are explaining the Qur'an al-Kareem and the Sunnah Nabawiyah Sharifa, it's really essential to be able to do so, you know, in, in the original Arabic, regardless if you're of Arabic background or not, or, or it's your first language or not. And for a lot of us here in the West, it isn't. So if you do have the opportunity, I would highly suggest, you know, Arabic is something that is of utmost importance because it is your key, you know, to to have the barak and the blessings of studying those primary sources in the Arab in the original Arabic language uh, and to taste the beauty of the authors, you know, of their works like um, Imam al-Ghazali. If you can read one page of his Ihya or Ulum al-Din, reviving the Islamic sciences in Arabic. It's beautiful and eloquent and it's just an amazing experience. And you know, and we have so many scholars to choose from and to read their works. Um, so growing up I wasn't really interested in learning Arabic unfortunately and my parents when I got maybe around 13 they really saw that, that I just really wasn't interested you know, I would just tell them to be totally, completely honest. You know, we live in the U.S. All my friends, you know, everyone at school, everyone we deal with, we all speak in English. English is enough. You know, I can speak to you in English. I mean, you don't particularly, you know, you know, you, you wouldn't prefer that I lose the Arabic language that you're trying to instill in us. And so they actually did something quite phenomenal. They, um, they relocated to Amman, Jordan. So I spent my high school years in an Islamic school, um, in, a, in a girls' Islamic school there, actually. And it was really um, uh, an experience in changing my worldview, you know, to see that there are, there's a society out there that's completely different from our own. 
and there are different ways to look at the world and see things. And some of them are, are better and some of them are worse, obviously. Um, you know, but then being exposed to, you know, um, really religious, pious women um, who are experts in each of the fields, you know, in chemistry and biology and physics and history and geography um, and the Islamic sciences in Arabic and um, Quran al-Kareem. And so that was really a great blessing. May Allah, you know, reward my, my family, my parents, and all of our parents um, because it gave me the opportunity to see that Islam really doesn't oppress women. People oppress women. Um, but Islam doesn't. And the opportunities for scholarship for both men and women, young and old alike, regardless of, you know, your situation, that opportunity is there. And it's for the grabbing. And it just takes a sincere intention and, you know, a sabab. It just takes that you make this, you know, we make the sincere intention and sit down and try to, you know, take real steps towards that goal. And so I was introduced to very righteous women, alhamdulillah, you know, who were living their life according to the teachings of our beautiful deen. And at the same time, neither their gender, nor their age, or their economic status, or, you know, um, any other factor was in their way from being righteous, pious, upright people that were also um, masters in their own field, you know, it, to be successful in the dunya and the akhirah. There's absolutely nothing, nothing wrong with that. Um, and their love and sincerity was really uh, something that influenced me. And it was really a blessing, alhamdulillah. And so uh, we were, I was there for high school. And, you know, then we came back to the West and I finished my university in Chicago. And when I came back to the West, I felt so empty and so deprived of, um, you know, really good scholarly companionship and to be around you know there are so many sisters here in the west that are wonderful sisters there's no doubt about that but at the same time to be around people and women and scholars with deep knowledge and deep love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam so when I came back um, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought me back the this, the difference is um, was stark for me, stark and dark. You know, it, it was really difficult actually for me to come back and and to see that. You know, so many of our brothers and sisters here are suffering from problems that, if we really just took a step back and studied and found out the the answers and the solutions in our dean, and then studied and found out and sought people to teach us how to implement the deen into our life, our lives, so many of our problems would be, if not solved, at least um, alleviated. And so I just felt that that was um, also instrumental in getting me to, you know, focus on wanting to seek sacred knowledge again. And at the time I was um, volunteering at a, an Islamic um organization, Iman, Inner City Muslim Action Network, 
and they had um, close ties with Zaytuna Institute in, in the Bay Area. And so um, the shiyukh from Zaytuna would come to Chicago and offer classes and seminars, you know, and that was really instrumental. It was a great blessing. May Allah reward them because that, you know, that gives people here an opportunity to see that, you know, there are scholars and there are classes and there is righteous company. Um, and they had in, they had um, a program where they were accepting students from Chicago. So I went to Zaytuna in, I think, 2003. And I was really blessed to study with Imam Zayd Shakir and Sheikh Salik bin Sidna and Qari Umar and all the different um, teachers that were there and the sisters also. There were very advanced sisters there also that were, you know, helping to tutor and and to answer my questions and Sidi Usama Khan. And so, you know, the people there were really helpful and instrumental. And of course, Imam Zaid's wife, may Allah, you know, bless every, you know, all of our scholars, men and women. So they were um, really instrumental in, in helping me see that here in the West also, there are places where you can seek knowledge and you can um, seek the company of the righteous. And then after that, I was introduced um, to, you know, uh, the Dean intensives and the Rihlas and attending those and being um, introduced to more scholars and they would speak of their experiences studying abroad, um, be it Yemen or be it um, Sham or Egypt. And they had such wonderful stories and, and their experiences were so beautiful. And um, they spoke about their shayukh and their scholars with such true sincere love and um it really just kind of you know there was a spark in my heart that i really want to meet some of these people and it is uh, near it said that um sidi ahmed zarruq um says that if you're seeking guidance you know and you're looking for uh you know a proper sheikh and proper guidance to maintain at least 500 salawat of Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam daily. And then that would um, help for a person to find guidance. And um, so I tried maintaining that. Plus the the um, the adhkar, you know, the, the invocations of the morning, the invocations of the evening, you know, implementing the sunnah prayers and the sunnah um, invocations throughout the day as we um, live our life. And that helps to fill the heart with more light following the sunnah of Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sahbihi wa sallam and especially the salawat of Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sahbihi wa sallam. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, blessed me to be introduced to Sayyidina Shaykh Muhammad Abu al-Huda al-Yaqubi. And um, again, my father and my family was able to meet him and... Um, you know, to meet someone of such high caliber and knowledge and love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and love for Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sahbihi wa sallam and someone who if you watched them, every aspect of their life and behavior um, was reflecting the sunnah of Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sahbihi wa sallam and that really caught, you know, our attention that there are scholars out there of the highest caliber, the greatest adab, sincerity, 
and love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam and um, we were really blessed uh, Sayyidina Shaykh Muhammad um, spoke to my my father and and uh, got his permission for my brother and I to travel to Sham and to study there you know in a time where things were much more calm and peaceful and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala return peace and tranquility for Sham and for Yemen and for all of um, for all of society and all communities so we were really blessed and we traveled abroad we were there for I was there for about four years and the scholars and the ulama there were amazingly welcoming for students from the West especially all students but especially those from the West you know, um, you can go to the masjid after Fajr, after Asr. There were constantly classes available for students. The ulama would open their homes, um, not only for classes, but if you were feeling down, if you were feeling, you know, homesick, then you could just, you know, for the sisters, we would call the wives of, you know, the scholars. For example, the wife of Sidna Sheikh Shukri Luhafi, who was a one of the masters of the Ten Qiraat in Sham and also a great um, Hanafi Mufti, you know, and then we would visit them, even if not for class, they would be, they were so um, hospitable and op- opening their homes in their time, you know, for classes, but also if you were feeling unwell, if you were feeling down, if you were homesick, you know, you and you, you would go to their homes, they would open up their homes and, and you couldn't possibly leave without a meal without nasiha, without advice um, and they cared for us and were completely concerned for our welfare not just academically but emotionally and physically and spiritually you know um, if you went to to the Umayyad mosque for example Sheikh Abdul Razak al-Halabi rahimahullah subhanahu wa ta'ala may Allah have mercy on his soul you would find him he was very very old you know over, over 90 and um, mashallah, you know, he was so busy. He was the, the imam of the Grand Umayyad Mosque. And, you know, during the late afternoon, he would take a, a sunnah nap, you know, a short sunnah nap. And we would be sitting in the masjid and, you know, we would see that if locals, if local students of knowledge were to ask permission to sit with him or study with him, you know, the khadim, the servant would say, you know, would you mind giving him half an hour? You know he's um, taking you know a bit of a rest. He's had a really long day. But if they saw Western students, they would wake him up. And I remember um, now looking back, I, I feel quite bad about it. Um, that you know, but they would wake the sheikh up, and and he would welcome us into his office, and you know, and welcome the sisters also. Um, and so we could recite and hear from him. For example, um, the hadith of mercy, uh, hadith al rahma. And we can um, ask, you know, advice on how to seek knowledge and, and how to implement the deen in our lives. And the ulama were just amazing and phenomenal and instrumental. You know, always um, opening their hearts and their homes. Um, you know, some of the, the students sometimes would say that if it weren't for, you know, the scholars opening their homes for us every week and, and giving us um, not only classes, but asking about our welfare and, you know, preparing the best of meals. And, you know, the wives also would be preparing, 
you know the best of, the best of meals and here in the west we have so much and have so you know we uh it may not seem like a big deal but when you're abroad you're away from your home you're busy with classes it's really um easy to just grab you know um just grab a sandwich and so you're not even getting proper nutrition and so when we would go to the homes of the shayukh and the awliya and the ulama they would really make sure to have healthy um you know foods uh, for the students and it, you know the students would even say if it weren't for the shayukh we would go hungry here you know we wouldn't some of the brothers didn't you know if some of the brothers and sisters are are not you know do not know how to cook and whatnot so these things might seem petty here in the west but when we're abroad um it was really it also helped because the ulama didn't want us to feel bad so they would invite us over for a meal so we wouldn't feel bad and um and we wouldn't feel homesick and on eid also they would invite like sheikh salim al hammami um rahimullah subhanahu wa ta'ala he's a a, a a great wali known from sham and he actually uh returned to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in al madina al munawwara and is buried in um jannatul baqi' mashallah what a beautiful end for his life and he used to invite the students especially on eid you know and give them advice and he was constantly speaking about the importance of al-Qur'an al-Karim reciting Qur'an al-Karim and the salawat constantly constantly reciting Qur'an and reciting salawat and and um you know telling uh the students and not only the male students but he would gather the women of his family and invite the the sisters that were studying there also um so that the sisters also would have this benefit and it was it's really amazing because the only problem where the only place where we see quote unquote women being oppressed and women not having access you know sometimes for classes sometimes are in in the west here sometimes i feel like it's more difficult to get access to shiyukh and scholars here maybe it's a cultural mindset that some people have that you know um you know maybe women shouldn't be studying or what not but it's not it's definitely not from the religion you know the scholars overseas really went out of their way to make sure that their wives and you know the women in their family were also available um to sit with the sisters and to and so that the sisters could also be present with the ulama during the classes and give advice sisters would have questions and you know and problems in their lives and they wouldn't know how to solve them and so they were phenomenal in that way um you know so it was a really nice experience may allah give each of us the opportunity to sit with the ulama and the scholars and the awliya and the men of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and give us the ability to seek them out and see them for who they are and accept them and and to study with them and sit with them and benefit from them amin allahumma amin that's a, a beautiful dua sister and ustada linda in my experience, I've seen the transformative power of companionship of what is traditionally known as suhbah, companionship with the people of knowledge, the people of sincerity, the people of light. And growing up in the West, or maybe within the context of the modern materialist mindset, we sometimes might make the mistake of equating information with knowledge of the memorization of facts and data in the head with what in Islam actually is constituted as knowledge. 
which you have referred to and some of the ulama, some of the great shiyukh and scholars of Islam have referred to as a light in the heart. And this then is what may be the difference between information in the head versus what you mentioned, a transformation of one's state, one's hal. How important is it to keep the physical company of people of knowledge, people of sincerity, people of ikhlas, people of amal in the pursuit of knowledge? MashaAllah, you really bring up um, such an important point. It is absolutely, positively essential. It is more important than seeking facts or seeking pieces of information. Because seeking information and facts, that's ta'aleem, that's learning. A person can technically pick up facts and pick up information from books. But what we really need is terbiya. And, you know... Um, terbiya is not, you know, sometimes people translate it, translate it as discipline, but it is, it is far more, you know, essential and broad. It's not just discipline, and it's also um, learning how to implement what we know into our lives. Everyone knows that, you know, they're supposed to wake up for fajr. Everyone knows the great blessings and bounty in praying in the middle of the night and praying to Hajjud Qiyamul Layl. Everyone knows knows, you know, how important and essential it is to recite Quran al Karim, especially daily. But how many of us are struggling? You know, how many of us are struggling to implement what we know? And sometimes, you know, this is the most difficult aspect of our deen. Um, studies are difficult, but learning how to implement what we learn into our lives and into our um, family relations and our relations with our friends and co-workers and neighbors and colleagues and people we don't like and people we don't get along with. This is far more important and it's really essential. Maintaining good company, you know, is absolutely fundamental. It's essential. Um, at the very least, if you're with, you know, good company, then you're going to be um, in a situation where you're doing at least good things. We're not, you know, we're not wasting our time and we're not um, being deluded into following the path of the unrighteous. And there's less, you know, there will be less difficulty and less struggle to try to implement the aspects of the Ardeen that we're, that is essential for us. And really... Every, you know, usually when I'm talking um, to different sisters and, and it's really an honor and a blessing for me that, you know, to be able to meet so many um, wonderful, sincere sisters. And what I think people mention the most is, you know, there's a great desire to be around um, good, righteous people who who help us to be upright implement the deen in our life and there's also a great lack um you know i mean the righteous people are out there but you know especially in the u.s where you know the the distances are so great um we're kind of confined to where we live and what we can find and then also the righteous people mashallah they're quite humble and so they don't advertise themselves you know so this is where um, the importance of having, you know, sacred knowledge retreats come in. So, you know, it's important for communities 
um, to have, you know, weekend programs, after school programs, after school halaqas, weekend halaqas, retreats uh, for the family, retreats for the sisters, for the brothers, um, for the youth, for children to be around other people seeking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to be around other people who also are close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, you know, if if I'm not a scholar, then at least I can um, sponsor. So if, if I'm not a scholar, you know, at least I can help my community or my family to sponsor, you know, um, a righteous person and a scholar to come to the community for a weekend, for example, um, and to gather the youth, to gather the brothers, to, gra- to gather the sisters, the aunties, the uncles, um, because actions speak louder than words. And, you know, so on the one hand, we'll learn knowledge, which is essential. You know, a person does have to know their fardain. We do have to know what's essential for our deen. We have to know how to perform wudu properly and when it uh, when it's needed. And we know, we have to know what negates our ghusl and when we need to take a purificatory bath. We need to know how to do that properly. That's essential. You know, sometimes when... Um, you know, speakers are asked to speak about spirituality and the importance of knowing how to rid the heart of the diseases of the heart, how to cure the heart from, you know, spiritual diseases like like greed, jealousy, envy, um, you know, hatred for certain people, um, racism. These are all, you know, diseases of the heart. And so if we're, t- and these are so essential because the state of your heart really will dictate your actions and our actions. You know, a pure heart is going to um, help us and enable us to have better um, actions and to be able to have even more ibadah for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, if I'm, you know, if I'm bogged down by feelings of jealousy when I'm at the masjid, you know, sister so-and-so is more beautiful or wealthier or she got a really amazing marriage proposal from someone and I haven't, you know, received those blessings or her parents are nicer than mine or she's not struggling with a certain issue that I have to struggle with. If I'm so caught up dealing with those feelings and those diseases of the heart, can I possibly focus on my prayer? Can I possibly, you know, sit down and enjoy um, the class that, you know, I'm listening to? Can I possibly, you know, have um, time to sit down and read, for example, Surah Al-Kahf on on Friday? If I'm just focused so much on, you know, the jealousy I feel towards other people. And, but at the same time, you know, um, it's really important to know that there has to be definitely a balance. We do have to study the deen. We do have to study tafsir. We do have to study the hadith Nabawi Sharif, sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. We do have to study fiqh, you know, and studying fiqh is not fun. One of the reasons why sometimes finding fiqh classes, you know, sometimes is because um, it is it is a little bit tedious. It can get a little bit boring. You know, but it's something that's essential. We really do need to study our aqidah and um, to know how to implement our deen properly in our life. That's essential. No one can possibly deny that in any way, shape, or form. And the focus on spirituality is not in any way, shape, or form to belittle the importance of the outward sciences like Arabic language and fiqh and Quran al-Kareem and sirah and tafsir. These are essential. 
you know, but at the same time, without living and feeling, you know, the spirit of the law and the spirit of um, Islam, you know, and un- and understanding how to become closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, a person can study and then become knowledgeable and then, you know, have to deal with arrogance, you know, that, oh, I'm so great, I'm so wonderful, I'm so knowledgeable, and, you know, so it's important to have both. It's really a balance, and um, seeking out the companionship of the righteous is essential. It's really um, it, the the blessings and the change you'll find in yourself and your life is is paramount. And if you experience it and you taste it, then you can't deny it. And that was something that was, I think, really important um, for me. You know, growing up in the West. Sometimes we're exposed to people or righteous, quote-unquote, religious practicing people in the masjid or in our families. And, you know, they're praying, they're fasting, they're donating for the masjid, and these are wonderful things that they're doing. But they treat others so horribly that you don't want to spend time with them. And you feel, you know, that it's difficult to consolidate the hypocrisy. How is it that, you know, so-and-so or so-and-so is stabbing me in the back when they're the first person for Salatul Fajr? You know, how is it that this person is donating so much for the orphans and for, you know, the Islamic school and the masjid, which is essential, but at the same time, you know, um, their, their actions or their words are so rude to people that they're really turning people away from the religion. And all of us have so many stories of people who are really like hyped and really wanted to study the deen and were studying the deen but because they couldn't handle you know how poorly some muslims behave even in the masjid or even in class or even in halaqa that they ended up just leaving you know the whole journey we all have you know family members and friends and it's so difficult you know and sad to see, you know, like um, a person who started off so well, memorizing the Quran al-Kareem, you know, praying in the masjid, always, always available to help people if you were moving, if you needed to go to the airport, you know, if someone came into town suddenly and didn't have a place to to stay, you know, everyone knew you could turn to brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. They were always so helpful and they were really, you know, um, such a pleasure to be around. But then, you know, they... um, all of a sudden you find that you know some of these wonderful great people are just turning away from the deen or just not interested why usually there's a person or an incident that you know or a number of incidences or people that were just you know their behavior was so contrary to the teachings of the religion that people can't handle it and they turn away so it is very, it's essential, important to like maintain good company. And it's, it's not about numbers. You know, one person who's righteous and who's pious and has good adab and good akhlaq and good etiquette and good manners is so much more beneficial than five or six or a hundred friends, you know, that are mediocre or that are not um, good examples for us. I really want to thank you for that, Ustad Alinda, because you touch on a point that is so important, so necessary to be addressed, this, the value of adab in Islam. 
uh, our teacher, my Sheikh, Mawlana Sheikh Nazim, he always emphasized the utter importance of adab. And that if one has knowledge in terms of information, but lacking in adab, that their path is far from complete. And in fact, one can fall into the hypocrisy that Iblis, Shaitan, fell into. Not only does that hypocrisy turn people away from Islam, but it does real harm in our lives, in our personal lives, in the lives of our household, our families. It leads to failures in marriages. And so I want to thank you again for addressing the importance of both the outer dimension of Islam as well as its inner dimension. How would you, Ustad Alinda, explain the ultimate goal of seeking knowledge? What is the purpose of seeking knowledge in Islam, of studying, of learning, of perfecting one's character, purifying one's heart? Where does this lead? Subhanallah, um, adab is really, you know, morals and manners and ethics, you know, etiquette, proper ed- etiquette in all aspects of our life. It's absolutely essential. It is the spirit of Islam. It is the spirit of the law. It is the intention of the sharia and the deen and the religion. Um, that's why uh, you find in, in fiqh that the aspects of the law which deal with how to deal with people and other um, people in creation, you know, al-mu'amalat, al-buyu' al-zawaj, al-talaq, you know, um, you know, buying and selling and trade and inheritance and marriage and divorce. These aspects of how to deal with others, they com- com- compromise the majority of the fiqh texts, you know, probably three-fourths or more. Um, because if we make a mistake or a sin with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that is a calamity, of course, no doubt. But the solution for it is sincere tawbah and sincere repentance. But if we're hurting others or oppressing others, regardless if they're Muslim or not, family members or not, um, not only human beings, but also the animals and you know our environment and the earth, then rectifying that sin is much more difficult. It entails true, sincere toba plus, you know, taking means necessary to rectify the wrong that a person has committed. And a lot of times, it is really quite difficult sometimes to um, erase the wrong that we have committed. If if we've said something to really hurt someone, a simple apology just isn't enough most of the time. It takes a lot of time and effort to rectify the hearts. And, um, you know, it takes time for people to heal from trauma. It takes time for people to heal from, you know, being hurt by someone that they love or care for or respect. Um, So adab is essential in our dealings with other people and especially the people that are close to us. And it's usually harder to have adab and proper etiquette with the people that are closest to us. If I'm at work and I'm really annoyed by someone, I have to force myself. Or if I'm at school and really annoyed with someone, I have to force myself to deal with them properly and professionally because I need my degree, I need to finish my classes, or I need my job, I need the income that I'm getting from this job, right? And so we force ourselves, you know, to find 
ways of wisdom to deal with difficult people and situations. But when we're at home with family members, with parents, with grandparents and children and spouses and neighbors, um, the the ramifications of our you know poor behavior are usually um, much more difficult. So when we're dealing with um, family members and friends, parents, grandparents, and children and spouses especially, and parents especially, you know, the consequences to our actions are usually not immediate. Um, it's not like if you're at work or at school, you can be immediately reprimanded, you know, or um, expelled or fired. But when we're at home, we're dealing with people that genuinely love us. And so they do want to make the relationship work. And so they will be more, they will be and try to be more patient, you know, with us. Um, but at the same time, sometimes it's easy for the nefs and the ego and the lower self to exploit that or take advantage of that knowingly or unknowingly. You know, we all know that if we're at school and we, you know, pick on someone, we're, we're going to get in trouble for it. And so we don't do it. And, but at home, who is the one that's going to, you know, implement the rules and the boundaries and to make sure that people are behaving in the manner that they're supposed to be behaving. And for a lot of, for a lot of us, you know, in a lot of our aspects with our family and friends, we forget that it is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala watching us and that we have to be mindful of how we deal and how we treat others, especially those who have rights upon us, like our parents and our children and our spouses and our neighbors. And then also, we know from the hadith of Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam that our actions are shown to him sallallahu alayhi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam and so if he finds good he thanks Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for that and if he finds other than that and see here we see in the hadith the beautiful adab you know just the amazing adab of Sayyidina Rasulullah alayhi salatu wa salam teaching us that he didn't say if I find bad you know, he said if I find other than that other than good he didn't even want to وسلم, to say that I would find bad from my ummah, from my followers. Subhanallah, just a great, beautiful, amazing example of you know this wonderful prophetic adab from him. And that our actions are being shown to him. So if if we truly love Sayyidina Rasulullah if we truly appreciate him. And all he did for us, and do we really want him to to see, you know, how we're treating people in private, and how you know, and how we treat ourselves in lacking in the worship of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala and the remembrance of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala? How there's such a a gap and a lack in our lives? Do we really want him, sallallahu alaihi wa sallam, to see that? And it's, you know, and it's really. Um, it's beautiful that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allowed us to see and to know this hadith in particular that our actions, all of our actions, how many, you know, how many Muslims are there in the world were are all being shown to him, sallallahu alayhi wa ala alihi wa sahbi wa sallam, and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sees and hears and knows everything that we're doing. And the importance of trying to maintain this adab, you know, you'll see it 
in your life if if you're good to people and if you're good to others and you're good to your parents Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will send great blessings your way whoever fears Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and lives a life with piety Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will send them he promises to send us a way out from the difficulty that we're experiencing and you know this is a promise from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala it's amazing and going back to you know um, the idea and in our religion that it's important and essential to have good companionship and to have the company of the scholars and the righteous as much as possible um, once there was a, a group of students and they were studying and um, in sham you know and as students we have a lot of questions and um, always constantly seeking advice on you know what is that that one dua that we should be making what is the most important thing to you know to um, ask for what is the one goal that we should really have and once you know uh, Sayyid al-Sheikh Muhammad Abu al-Hud al-Yaqubi Hafizahullah subhanahu wa ta'ala may Allah um, preserve him and all of the um, you know ulama and scholars he once said and advised to the students you know if you look in the Quran al-Kareem what is the dua that the righteous ask for? It's an excellent seal, husn al-khitam, having an excellent end and seal to our lives. And that really, really opened my eyes. It was really an epiphany for me. It just, you know, I just remember that it hit me so hard that, you know, we have so many goals that we have. There are certain books that we want to study and certain teachers we want to sit with and you know, and um, certain things that we want to accomplish. And we have, we all have goals. And having lofty goals and high aspirations is key. It's um, fundamental. We can't possibly get anywhere without that and the tawfiq and success from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But the one dua that is essential and the goal for us is husnul khitam, asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we return to him with true sincerity and faith and that husn al-khitam that is the ultimate goal and that should be something we are should be reminding ourselves you know it's hard to implement the deen it's hard to be polite when people are rude it's hard to serve others who when they need you they call you and they don't need you they've forgotten you and then if you need something they're not anywhere around to be seen it is it is really difficult it is hard and struggling on the path and muraqaba and thinking about your intentions and why we did or didn't do something um, these are all really really difficult aspects of the deen to implement sometimes those who struggle for our sake Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promises in the Quran al-Kareem that he guides us to him and so it is difficult you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses the word jahadu. It is a struggle. It is difficult. But at the same time, when we realize that these are things we're doing to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and please Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sahbihi wa sallam in hopes that he give us the ultimate gift, husnul khitam, having an excellent seal to our life so that we can return back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And spend eternity with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and with Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sahbihi wa sallam.
Allahumma salli ala Sayyid Muhammad wa ala Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu When we look to the Sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi when we look to the character, to the personality of the Holy Prophet of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, the thing that stands out the most is his beauty, the beauty of his personality, the beauty of his character, the beauty of his essence. This is why the Sahaba followed Rasulullah sallallahu This is why they loved Rasulullah sallallahu not out of fear, not out of compulsion, purely out of his beauty. And this is why people accept Islam historically throughout the world. This is how Islam spread. This is how I saw people embrace Islam continuously when we were with the people of sincerity, the people of ikhlas, our shuyukh. Random strangers would approach the shaykh and just attracted by the light, that prophetic light that shines, through their hearts and through their souls, through their eyes, through their faces. It's a tragedy that nowadays Islam is perceived so badly, so wrongly, and in reality we have nobody to blame but ourselves. There may not be a shortage of information, but there appears to be a shortage of ikhlas and sincerity, humility. We know from a very important occurrence in the life of the Prophet which has been recorded as the Hadith of Jibreel salam, in which Sayyidina Jibreel salam, approached and asked the Holy Prophet salam, what is Islam, what is Iman, what is Ihsan? And the Prophet answered, and once Jibreel salam, left, the Holy Prophet informed the companions that that was Sayyidina Jibreel salam, who came to teach them the religion. Ustada, Shaykh Linda, what is the importance of Ihsan? What is Ihsan in this religion? Because it appears that generally we stop at Islam. Generally when people understand Islam, they stop at the five pillars, the obligatory practices, the most external dimension of the religion. But it goes so much deeper. And the last thing I'd like to maybe give you an opportunity to share with us this principle, this concept of Ihsan in Islam. SubhanAllah, um, Ihsan, you know, it is excellence and beauty and eloquence in our religion and how we live our lives. And no doubt the, the actions, you know, the, the amal, and you know the you know the belief system that we have that's fundamental and we can't divorce all three aspects they must be found together you know there must be um a proper and sound understanding of how to live and behave like a muslim with the proper belief system it's essential but also at the same time ihsan is it's the intention for why we are doing a particular act it is the the spirit of why we believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his messengers and Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam and it is how a person becomes closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the great scholars and ulama and awliya 
And from the time of Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam and the great men and women, Sahaba, Kiram, radiallahu ta'ala anhum, you know, this is something that they were teaching their students not only in words but in their actions and how they lived their lives. And, you know, we, we find that um, the Sahaba Kiram, radiallahu ta'ala anhum, they would memorize only small numbers of ayat, verses of the Qur'an al-Kareem before memorizing more. We're talking about, you know, the people of Quraysh who in, were masters of the Arabic language and masters of memorization. You know, they would have what we would call in modern day times poetry slams where, you know, the, the great poets would stand and uh, recite hundreds of lines of poetry praising or demonizing another tribe. And then someone from the other tribe, a master, a poet, would, would not only answer um, his opponent, opponent in poetry, hundreds or thousands of lines, but he would first repeat what his opponent had said, the poem, the poetry that was um, mentioned earlier. These were people, the greatest of people who had amazing, phenomenal memories. You know, why is it that they're memorizing small portions of the Qur'an al-Kareem at once? Because they wanted to truly live the teachings and they wanted to really embody the spirit of the teachings and the behavior and the etiquette and the adab of Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam and this is something that you know we know that Sayyidina Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha she taught us that when asked about the character of Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam that he was you know, the walking, living Qur'an al-Kareem in all, in all aspects of his life, sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam. And so this is what, you know, the Sahaba Kiram portrayed to their students and their families. And the um, tabi'een learned from them, the generation that came after the companions, and then the atba' tabi'een learned from them, the generation that, that came after the um, the students of the Sahaba Kiram radiallahu ta'ala anhum ajma'in. And what we find is that as more people embraced Islam and um, Islam was spreading through love and devotion um, after experiencing, you know, the amazing manners and etiquettes and selflessness of, of the Sahaba Kiram radiallahu ta'ala anhum, that so many people were coming into the religion from so many different cultures and backgrounds and worldviews that, you know, knowing how to live Islam and embody the religion and implement the religion in our life needed to be actually taught and instructed rather than just experienced or seen you know, firsthand by actually living with the Sahaba Kiram عنهم, or the Tabi'een or the Atba' Tabi'een or the, the first three generations. Um, there were so many people coming into the religion with so many different ideas on what it meant to be upright or moral or ethical or what it meant to be pious and believing that the ulama 
felt that they really needed to actually teach classes and author works and texts on how to implement the religion into our lives, how to implement the fiqh, and how to implement the legal rulings and the aqidah and the belief system that we have, how to implement all the different aspects of our beautiful deen into our lives. And so then we find emerging great scholars who were recognized, not by themselves, but the other ulama, the other scholars of of the community, that we have these scholars that would be teaching how to live a life um, sincere to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we find that the ulama then would teach and implement how to live, and they would author works on this. And the other ulama would see that this was something that was um, important and needed. And then they also would start um, implementing and teaching these texts. And this is how we have the emergence of the science of Ihsan and the science of Tasawwuf. That it is something that was there all along with Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and his companions. But they knew how to live it and they actually were living it because they had the best teacher right in front of them so it didn't need to be authored into a text or explained you know they knew how to do it and how to live it and so as you had more people and younger people and different um, cultures coming in they all had their own ideas and so the ulama and the awliya and the righteous um, imams of you know the time and the culture they were living in they found that it was essential to actually start telling people and teaching people how to live the deen and how to follow the deen and so then we see the emergence of the greatest of the scholars like al imam al junaid and sayyidna sahal and all the great imams sheikh abdul qadir al-jailani all the greatest imams and scholars that we have and the list can go on and on and what we find is that their works alhamdulillah were so important that they were preserved and then taught to their students and then preserved and taught to their students and then we have other imams emerging and other scholars and other men of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that happen to live and love Islam in the proper manner and so the other scholars recognized them and saw them for who they are like Imam al-Ghazali for example and this was fundamental actually in preserving you know how to implement the deen how to implement the the aspects of the deen that Sayyidina Jibreel alayhi salam came and taught to the Sahaba Kiram radiallahu ta'ala anhum that it is amal action and it is um, belief in our aqidah and at the same time it is also ihsan and excellence in how we worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala how we believe how we deal with others and how we live an upright and moral life trying to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala I want to thank you so much for joining us today Ustad Alinda it's been a great honor a great privilege a great blessing to have you here with us Perhaps the last thing that I would ask is if you could maybe give some suggestions, practical suggestions for those that would like to further their deen to advance in their religious and spiritual life and path, 
what are some practical steps they can take living in the West, particularly with regards to beginning to pursue sacred knowledge? First and, form- for, first and foremost um, is a niya, the intention. Take a moment to sit back and to rectify the intention. And regardless of where we are on the path to learning or the path to coming closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and implementing the deen, if we're a beginner or if we're a great scholar, wherever we are, to take a moment and to really try to feel in the heart, okay, to have a proper intention to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So intention is fundamental, it's essential. And then also to sit down and look at the people in our lives. Who has Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put in my life to make sure that we are dealing with them not only justly, but to try to do you know even more, to be merciful and compassionate um, and to fulfill their rights as much as we possibly can. Our parents um, essential, you know, if, if they're alive, to try to do whatever we can to please them, and of course we all know that pleasing them uh, within the boundaries of, you know, the rules of the Sharia, of course. But you know, Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wa alaihi wa sallam was asked about dealing with the parents, and you know, how do we deal with them? And he taught to fulfill their rights, and he said in the Hadith three times, even if they oppress you. Even if they oppress you, even if they oppress you, you know, fulfilling the rights of the parents, however, in whichever manner that we can, if they're alive, you know, to take care of them, and if they've passed away, to make dua for them, to give in charity in their name, to recite Quran al-Kareem in their name, um, if possible, to make Umrah for them, to make Hajj for them, um, to mention them in the best manner. Um, to tell people all that they've done for us and to check up on their friends and their family members. And that was the sunnah of Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sahbihi wa sallam. And also our spouses, if Allah has gifted you with a spouse or gifted me with a spouse and or children, to try to um, fulfill their rights and to be patient and to have forbearance. And no one is perfect. We all have mistakes, we all have sins, um, and we have to try to overlook mistakes and sins and, and try to be empathetic and sensitive to the feelings and needs of others. It may be that you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed us with this you know, burning desire to seek the deen or to implement more religion and piety into our lives and maybe our parents or our spouses or our children aren't there yet and it's important to realize I wasn't there yet six months ago or one year ago or five years ago but I was a pre- I'm appreciative that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave me the time I needed and didn't return me to him and have me die in a state where I wasn't ready to follow the deen or implement the deen or, or study the, the sacred knowledge and, and so we have to also be patient with those loved ones that we have in our families, in our homes, in our lives. You know, sometimes people just need time. Sometimes people need 
gentle reminders. And even sometimes people can't handle any reminders whatsoever. You know, if I put on the hijab and, you know, there may be other uh, sisters in my life or family, they're not ready to put on the hijab. I wasn't ready two weeks ago to put on the hijab, but I am now. And so in the same time, in the same way that I didn't want anyone to nag me or push me, then I have to be really mindful and careful not to push people or nag them because it may end up pushing them away. And so rectifying the intention for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, um, fulfilling the rights and obligations of the people in our lives, especially parents and spouses and children, and then taking a few moments to sit down and actually to take a realistic look and account of where I'm at and what goals are actually realistic for me and what um, opportunities are around me or I have access to. You know, uh, you may be in a situation where you have a lot on your plate at work or at school or with your family and so it wouldn't be realistic, you know, to go enroll in a, in a full-time program um, to study the dean. But don't let that, you know, delude you or um, dissuade you. You know, you, if you're taking one class a week, um, you know, that's really important. So you can try to find. There may be something in your area, classes with qualified teachers and scholars, people that you can keep your um, company with them. So try to seek them out and see who they are and make sure that they have proper ijaza, proper senad, proper certification, that they're teaching and um, proper texts of traditional sacred Islam. And then seeing, you know, how much can I study? Can I do one class a week, two? Can I attend one halaqa? Um, are there th steps for me to take where I can actually maybe travel you know myself my spouse my children can we travel maybe for a summer or uh, six months or a year and go abroad somewhere where um, it'll be good for our deen and um, good for our journey to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to, to invest time and energy and effort into sitting with um, and having the company of the awliya and the righteous you know, and so we all can assess, you know, where we're at and to give ourselves practical, realistic goals. Because if we give ourselves um, goals that are just too far-fetched, then we're setting ourselves up for failure. And that can be a trick from shaitan also, you know. So, um, and trying to implement, you know, as much sunnah from our religion as possible. So, am I praying fard? I can add sunnah. If I'm praying sunnah, I can, you know, if I'm doing my sunnah mu'akkada before and after prayers, I can add um, tahajjud, qiyamul layl, salat al-duha, um, to implement salatul istikhara, it's something Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam taught the companions, um, the dua of istikhara, and when we have to make a decision in our life to pray the two raka'at to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and make this um, fundamental, phenomenal dua, asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide us and really asking advice from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on where I should be going and what I should be doing. And also salatul haja, the prayer of need. We all have so many needs in our lives and our family members, you can pray for yourself 
and make two rak'at to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then you make sincere dua from the heart you know for help or remedy for a certain issue or problem and it can be for yourself or for help for a loved one or a friend it could be that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala relieve the suffering in the ummah of other people and that is also something beautiful to implement in our life that we're making dua for each other publicly and in private and we know that the angels say ameen for the dua that we make for our brother or sister in private and udhkurullaha dhikran kathira Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran al-Kareem he's telling us remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala abundantly and this is essential dhikr is something that we can do in all our states standing and sitting and laying down if we're well if we're sick if we're tired if we're stuck in traffic if we're stuck in the line at the checkout at the store um, it's something that we can do anytime all the time if we have wudu if we don't have wudu with our hijab without our hijab um, of course doing it with proper adab is best you know if you're able to sit down if you're able to have wudu if you're able to be dressed um, you know, properly, modestly, facing the direction of the qibla, the direction of prayer, if you're able to have presence of heart and to really think and feel, you know, the dhikr that we're saying, you know, astaghfirullah, Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad, abdika wa rasulika nabil ummi wa ala alihi wa sahbi wa sallam, la ilaha illallah, subhanallahi wa bihamdihi, subhanallahi al-azim, alhamdulillah, Allahu akbar, لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله حسبنا الله ونعم الوكيل. You know the ذكر available to us is phenomenal and abundant, and you can find whatever ذكر that's easy for you on your tongue, pleasing to the heart. You know, and whatever state we're in, we can be remembering Allah سبحانه وتعالى. And the more adab and etiquette. And presence of heart that we have during our dhikr, yes, uh, inshallah, we we hope for more guidance and more blessings from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They're all gifts from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But even if we're in a time or a situation where we're not able to fulfill all of the adab points or aspects of the dhikr, you know, regardless where we're at or stuck in traffic or traveling or delayed with a flight, you know, or we finished an exam at school early, and we have an extra five or ten minutes. In all of our states, we can be doing dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it brings such blessings and bounties and openings. You know, in the past, the ulama would say that reciting Surah Al-Fatiha, you know, hundreds of times, thousands of times each day gave them immense barakah and blessings and openings in, in their studies, in their pursuit of the sacred knowledge. And this is something that the ulama of Sham, may Allah revive all of the teachings of the great ulama and awliya for us and make Sham and all our communities and countries safe. That reciting Surah Al-Fatiha, for example, who doesn't have Surah Al-Fatiha memorized? And even if we don't, you know, it, um, it, we can recite from the Mus'haf Sharif, we can recite from a transliteration. And if we're not able even to recite from a transliteration, we can read the English meanings. Um, of the of the Surah Al-Fatiha and it's called Al-Fatiha the opening or the opener and it brings us great great blessings and openings for our lives for problems and also the salawat 
you know, we know this the famous, famous story of the Sahaba Kiram radiallahu ta'ala anhu who asked Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam if he can, how much of his dua can he give for salawat? And he progressed to ask from a smaller amount to a larger amount until he he was taught that you can give all of your time for dua and all of your dua to salawat. And it brings great blessings. And you're also fulfilling the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Qur'an al-Kareem. إِنَّ اللَّهَ وَمَلَائِكَتَهُ يُصَلُّونَ عَلَى النَّبِي يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا صَلُّوا عَلَيْهِ وَسَلِّمُوا تَسْلِيمًا And that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Qur'an al-Kareem is, is making it manifest and emphasizing to us the importance and the necessity of maintaining salawat Sallallahu alayhi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam on our noble holy prophet Sayyidina Muhammad Sallallahu alayhi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam And I'll just end with a, a final anecdote That sometimes in the West um, I don't know if it's we're busy Or we find it redundant When we're in a talk or reading To actually say the salawat um, You know, instead, and sometimes people will put um, Abbreviations like sod or PBUH or whatnot. And actually the ulama mentioned that this is not actually proper adab and etiquette, that we should take the time to at least write it fully out after the name of Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam. We should take the time to actually say the salawat after the name of Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam, even if it is, you know, quietly or secretly in our hearts. And I remember when I was implementing this, you know, to be honest in the beginning, that I found it a little bit difficult, you know, because if you're reading a text in, you know, in Islam on any topic, then you're doing a lot of salawat because the Prophet ﷺ is, of course, mentioned. He's the legislator, Musharra', he's our guide and our teacher, so he's mentioned constantly. And I remember. Um, the scholars and the teachers and a Sheikh Sayyid Muhammad Abu Hudul Yaqubi, he actually turned, he actually said once, you know, you sh- try to enjoy, you know, if you're saying the salawat, trying to actually enjoy it and feel it because it's such a blessing, an honor, and it's a privilege. And, you know, if you try to actually enjoy saying it and take the time to say it and enjoy it and love it, then that helps to love Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Allahumma salli ala Sayyid Muhammad wa ala Sayyid Muhammad. I want to thank you so much, Ustad Alinda, for joining us today. It's been a great blessing. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's protection and grace and barakah and nur and guidance be upon you, your family. May you continue to be a source of light and inspiration for the ummah, for our community and a source of service to this Muslim nation, inshallah ta'ala. I would just like to invite you to conclude our session today with a dua. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wa salatu wa salamu ala Sayyidina wa Habibina Muhammadin Abdika wa Rasulika Nabil Ummi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam taslima. اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما وعملا يقربنا إليك ومنك يا الله يا الله يا الله We ask that you give complete cure inwardly and outwardly and guidance for 
all of the people of the Ummah and all of creation, mankind and jinkind, until the end of time, and that you allow us to be blessed with the light of your blessings and your tawfiq and your success for all of our family members and loved ones in all of creation that we're able to actually see and feel and love you ya Allah the Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam Ahlul Bayt al-Sharif the family of Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam and the ulama the scholars and the awliya the upright men and women of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Ya Allah, we ask that you bless us to have companionship and suhbah with the real true men and women of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as this is a blessing that a person doesn't attain on his own. It's truly a gift from you and it can only be given to us from you with your bounty and your blessings. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad and abdika wa rasulika nabi al-ummi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Thank you for joining us in this episode of Soul of Islam Radio with Ustada Linda Ayash. We hope that this has been inspirational and will support you in your personal path of spiritual awakening. It is our goal to educate and to inspire and to help you continually develop your path and practice within the noble and blessed way of Al-Islam, continually and progressively awakening in the pursuit of greater awareness and thus success in the divine presence of Allah Almighty. Here's what you can do next. Visit us at www.soulofislamradio.com where you can get access to exclusive resources to help you deepen your knowledge and understanding of Islam. At soulofislamradio.com, you can learn how to develop a real and relevant spiritual experience in your personal path and journey to Allah Almighty. Also, if you have not yet done so, please subscribe to this podcast via iTunes and leave us a review. This will help others find Soul of Islam Radio. And the few minutes that you take to leave positive feedback could make a real and significant difference in someone else's life. Lastly, please share this resource with family and friends. There is the greatest reward in being the means through which a human being begins to discover the divine presence of their Lord and Creator. Again, thank you for joining us and for committing to your own personal growth and spiritual awakening. Together we can change our world, serve the great God of all creation, and attain to his divine pleasure. This is Ihsan, wishing you joy, success, happiness, peace, and prosperity in both this life and the next. To your divine, eternal, and absolute success.